Thanks for checking out the Anchor Faith Message Podcast from St. Augustine, Florida. Now enjoy this message. Uh, I need to finish a message that we started last month um, because, you know, uh, for the sake of time, I could not do that. Good news is we'll be able to do it here in June, which will be our leadership lesson for June. And, um, you know, as I said, that the Lord began to kind of speak to me and say, you know, uh, there's a leadership vacuum that's in the world, and you're going to need to take some time to help train leaders. You do this, you know, just with staff and other pastors and ministry coordinators and people that are operating, but, you know, you don't really do this from the platform to the general congregation, and I need you to do that. Obviously, I'm going to obey God, and so um, uh, at least once a month, we want to be able to take some time to break down some leadership lessons so that we can be more effective in the world. God wants us to lead because dominion requires it. I said dominion requires it. Now, when I say that, we're not talking about the leadership of the world, and we started out in Matthew chapter 20, verses 20 and 28. Um, the leadership in the kingdom of God looks a lot different than leadership in the world. In fact, Jesus himself points this out. And so what happens here in Matthew chapter 20, starting in verse 20, it says, Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee uh, came to Jesus with her sons, bowing down, making a request. And she said to him, her, or he said to her, What do you wish? And she said to him, Command that in your kingdom, these two sons of mine, one, uh, to sit on the right, one on your left. And Jesus says, you do not know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I'm about to drink? And they said, we are able. Everybody says we're able. And um, he said to them, if uh, my cup you shall drink, but to sit on my right and on my left, this is not mine to give, but it is for those uh, for whom it has been prepared by my father. Yes, sir. Uh, and hearing this, the ten became indignant with the two brothers. But Jesus came, uh, called them to himself and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their great men exercised authority over them. It is not this way with you, but whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant. Whoever wishes to be first among you shall be your slave. Just as the Son did not come to serve, to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Amen? So um, we saw here, he says, you know, my cup you shall drink, but to sit in verse 23, on my right and on my left, it is not mine to give, but it is for those to whom it has been prepared by my Father. You know, there are some things Jesus doesn't know. I know that can be kind of hard to, you know, assimilate because Jesus is God, but Jesus is God in a Godhead where there's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And God the Holy Spirit is not saying things that he's not been authorized to say. In fact, Jesus said when he, that is the spirit of truth, comes, he's going to disclose to you. He's going to tell you things that I've said, which means that he must be hearing it in order to say it, right? Which means there would be a context in one sense that he's, you know, needing to know what Jesus is saying. Jesus himself says this, I, we don't know. I don't know when the day or the hour is, but my father knows when the end is, which tells us the father has the capacity to be able to have uh, a knowledge concerning future events that he has not disclosed to the son. And Jesus here again says, now listen, who's going to sit on my right? It's not for me to give, but my father who's been prepared. Now at this juncture, 
we could say that he's, he knows he's just not telling. Or like when um, the trumpet's going to sound and the Lord's going to send Jesus back to catch away the church, he could be, that's up to my dad, so I don't even be, I'm not even concerned about it. He'll reveal it when it's time. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Um, my point is, is that the Father has the final say and that even Jesus himself doesn't have to know everything the Father knows to be obedient to the Father. Okay? Um, but he goes on and says, now listen, our kingdom, this kingdom that I'm in, that my father's about, it's not like the world. So you, you can't take leadership lessons from the world. Now that's a you know, tough statement because, again, most of us look to worldly leadership. Now I'm not saying you can't draw from someone in the earth leadership principles, especially if those principles are contained within the word that their leadership themselves is a result of what they've learned from the word. So in essence, then they're actually doing kingdom leadership and not worldly leadership, okay? But we can't just draw our conclusions on how to be successful from the world. The devil, who is the prince of the air, who is the god of this world, has a system in play that will allow you to become extremely prosperous, wealthy, influential, and a leader. He has a system. Okay. In fact, he, the, Jesus himself acknowledged this system exists. He said, what good is it a man to gain the whole world yet forfeit his soul? That means lose his mind. Okay. Lose his mind. Meaning he's thinking in line with the world and gaining all the world says, but at the end, that's but a vapor. It's going to pass away. It has no real fruit to it. You want to keep yourself on eternal fruit. So Jesus said, our leadership's not like the world's. We don't lord it over. We're not like taskmasters in the context that we're making things happen. We're, we, we're all about the titles or those things. What we do is we know we're already been positioned and we're here to serve people. Because, you know, Jesus knew he was king. It's not like Jesus was unaware he was king. Jesus read who he was in scripture. He discovered who he was when he read the scriptures. Now, when I say scripture, I'm not talking about New Testament scriptures because they haven't been written yet. I'm talking about the, the law and the prophets, okay? And those Psalms and songs, when he was reading those things, he realized the Father revealed to him through the Spirit that this is you. You are the lamb that's going to be slain. You are the, uh, the coming king. You are what Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6 says. You're the son. You're the child that was born, the son that was given. Because you know Mama Mary was like, son, I just got to be honest with you. Your dad didn't help with his process. I mean, there's no way a mom would keep that because mamas now are still trying to tell their kids how special they are. Right? You're special. You know, now, son, you're just special. That's what this is. And you find something good to try to, you know, let them know that this particular quality isn't really a negative. It, 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 God gave it to you for, I mean, you understand Mary's now. Son, I was a virgin when you were born. I know it's hard to believe, but it's true. So you understand, when he comes across Isaiah and says, a child is born, a son is given, he's like, man, the son always existed. That must be me. I said, that must be me. And it said the government would rest on his shoulder and he would rest on the throne of David. He knows his lineage goes back to King David. He knows this. I mean, because you understand, family name was, is a big deal and still is a big deal, okay? Family name is a real big deal. That's why I'm glad my name's in Christ. <laughs> Are you hearing me? 
And so he says, look, our leadership looks different. So when Jesus shows up, he's like, I know I'm king. That's not the point. The point is I'm here to serve my father's will, which means that I'm going to lay down my life for everyone else. Although as a king, they could serve me. As a king, I could just set up a seat and begin to rule. As king, and if I did that, then I would have to justly judge everyone, and I would have to cast them all into the lake of fire, which is a second death, because none's not good. No, not, not one. But my father's provided a way for those who do not want to be in treason anymore, those who don't want to be in rebellion anymore, those who want to change their father, leave the, the devil who's the father of lies and move over to the father God and that's through the new birth being born of God and you're born of God because Jesus shed his blood he paid the penalty for all of our wrongdoing and believing in our heart and confessing with our mouth Jesus is Lord we are born again then we become in the household of God and if Jesus is a king we're a king because he's the king of so this isn't positionally, we're not fighting with one another because you're a king, I'm a king. And at the end of the day, I'm already in a position. In fact, the Bible tells me I've been raised up and seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And since I'm already there, then there's no competition here because at the end of the day, I'm serving another king and helping you do what you need to do. You help what I need to do. And at the end of the day, this is what we do. We don't lord it over each other. Right? So then he ends up saying, Jesus gets even more bold. He says, now you want to be great? You want to be great? I'll show you how to be great. Jesus doesn't have a problem with greatness. You know, so if you, have a, if you aspire to be great, that doesn't mean it's a demonic activity or a demonic thought or a prideful thought. Jesus said, whoever wishes to be great would be the servant of all, slave of all. Meaning, you know, you treat your life as if it's not your own. Okay, look at this now. He said to him, he says, um, whoever wishes to be first among you will be your slave. He said, whoever wants to be great shall be your servant. Whoever wants to be first shall be your slave. Meaning, if you want to be first, then you, you recognize daily, my life's not my own. I have been bought with a price. And that price was the blood of Jesus, and I died of myself daily for the purpose of serving someone other than myself. Because I got it made. I said, I got it made. I'm already seated in the king's throne. Amen. Well, then, there, then there's no issue here. In anything we do, because we're not in competition with one another, we're all on, in the same rank serving the same father. Amen. Look at the Passion Translation, starting in verse 25 of Matthew chapter 20. It says, Jesus, knowing their thoughts, called them to the side and says, Kings and those with great authority in the world rule oppressively over their subjects like tyrants. God does not do this. Now, he is ruler, but that's not how he rules us. Right? He doesn't threaten us. Right? He gives us choice. Now, at the end of the day, you can do what you want to do. Or you can do what life is. I say choose life. I'm going to give you the answer to that, right? He says that before you. Life and death. Choose. I mean, open book test here, right? Choose life. I'm giving you the answer. But at the end of the day, how many people choose death? It's amazing. It's amazing. Why? Because they want to be in control. Because that's how our last daddy was. Our last daddy is a, is, is, tries to take over thrones. He tries to knock thrones over. He tries to tell the creator that I am the, cre you, you created me, but I'm going to take your position. And so every time we try to take position, we're acting like the devil. 
We're acting like the devil. Man, I sure would like that. If God wants you to have it, you'll get it. All you got to do is be faithful. No problem. See, in the world, it's cutthroat. In the world, man, everybody's going after everybody, trying, backbiting, talking, all this stuff. You know, that's tyrannical ruling. In your workplace, you see it with managers, you see it with employees, you see them like jockeying for position. They'll rat on each other, tell on each other, say so-and-so did this. Why? Just so they can get a leg up in your eyes and in your minds. You've been with coworkers, you know, they'll talk nice to you to your face, but then to the manager, they're telling you you're doing a terrible job because they want to be looked for the promotion and not you. Because they're jockeying for position. You know, in the United States, they call it the proverbial corporate what? Ladder. And you know what? The ruthless, man, they will step on you as they go up the ladder. Right? Two ways to go up the ladder. You either run over everybody or sleep with everybody, one or the other. Okay. Well, you didn't want to hear that, but that's just... I mean, that's how it is. You know, in the kingdom of God, you don't have to sleep around to get ahead. You don't have to be a whore. Hallelujah. Amen. You can do it righteously. <laughs> Amen. Everybody wants you to be real till you're real, and then they want you to get religious. Just preach nice, Pastor Earl. Sorry, I'm going to preach truth. Okay. It goes on and says this, verse 26, but this is not your calling. You will lead by a completely different model. So if you're going to lead by a completely different model, you cannot look at the world's model to lead. Can't do it. So you need to quit with your self-help books. You need to quit with your self-help books. Because that's not going to help you. It's not going to help you. Right? You've got to quit looking to what we could. You know, most people that we think are renowned leaders is because they have a book out. And it's amazing how many experts in their field get their books. And then we buy their books. And really, they're making their money off their books now, not basically what they wrote. At the end of the day, they're still not there. And a lot of times, they're not even living what they write. But they, it's easy for somebody to tell you what to do. It's different if they can do it themselves. But again, you can do worldly things and get it right and be very successful and then deceive people and drive, drag them along that same road and you miss your entire purpose. Miss your entire purpose. Are you hearing me? So he goes on and says this, um, the greatest one among you will live as one who is called to serve others because the greatest honor and authority is reserved for the one with the heart of a servant. For... Even the Son of Man did not come expecting to be served by everyone, but to serve everyone. Don't you understand everyone's going to actually serve Jesus? Either willingly or they'll be cast into the lake of fire. Either way, he's calling that shot. Right? And again, when he calls that shot, it's not because I'm in control. He's going to look at every person that goes into the lake of fire, which is the second death. He'll say, it was your choice to go there. That's how that'll play out. So again, when people say, well, you know, a loving God, he would, how could he send someone to hell? He doesn't. He never has, and he never will. They'll choose to go. So who in the world would choose to go to a lake of fire with his torment? Plenty. Because they rebel against yielding and obeying to God, God, who is just life. And when you yield to him, basically he lets you discover yourself. Because Jesus is not on a power trip. He has the name above every name. And he's giving you access to his seat. Amen. Giving you access to his seat. All right. 
Amen. See, in the world, we're always jockeying for position, right? And, and no matter what field you're in, somebody's ready to knock somebody else off. So today in the NFL, the best quarterback has a name and he's in Tampa Bay right now. But you understand, somebody's trying to knock him off. And anyone that comes up, they're going to start saying, is this? Same thing. Michael Jordan changed the, the game of basketball, but someone's going to want to try to knock him off. And that's why there becomes great debates. Why? Who's actually, what, what's the, why can't they just be good? Why can't they be great, period? Why do they have to compare them person? Because that's how the world does. But then we bring that stuff into the church and we compare each other. And we compare this, that, and the other. Well, that's not how it should be. And, you know, if you've run across a believer that's doing that, you know, it just tells us they're immature and they need to continue to grow. I mean, you know, we all came out of the world, got to change our thinking at the end of the day. I get it. But let's stay with what the Word says. Because at the end of the day, the minute you showed up here, whatever it is that God's destined you to do here, no one can stop it but you. You're the only one. Because you can only disqualify yourself. Right? Because God's bigger than any human being in here. He has capacity to move people that are hindering you. <laughs> oh, he's good. I said he's good. So the Son of Man didn't even expect to be served by everyone, but to serve anyone and to give his life in exchange for the salvation of many. And I'm not going to read this because it'd be repetitive, but remember in Matthew chapter 16, and in Acts chapter 20, Matthew 16, you can write it down, 21 to 23. You can write it down yourself. I'll, I'll reference it, but I'm giving you the reference so you can look at it yourself. And then Acts chapter 20, verses 17 to 30. In both of these cases, we began to show you that how a person, can, if they don't get their thinking right, even around the church, can make wrong choices because we'll bring in the world's way of le leading into the church or in our church relationships, and it creates conflict. Obviously, the one in Matthew, P uh, Peter has revelation that Jesus is a Christ, but when Jesus tells him he's going to die and go to the cross and be on the third day raised from the dead, Peter takes him to the side and said, it ain't going to happen. I won't let nobody kill you. And he has to rebuke Peter. He says, you're not doing the plan of God. You've set your mind on the interest of man and not on the interest of God. And a lot of times in our leadership, if we don't watch out, we'll set our, our mind on the interest of man's type of leadership and not God's. Same thing over in Acts. This is the, one of the churches. He's dealing with the elders of Ephesus. And Paul's fixing to leave. And he says, now when I go among your own, savage wolves are going to come in, not sparing the flock. Why? Because they're going to jockey for position, pulling disciples away to themselves. Basically, I'm a better you know, teacher than you, and I'm a better teacher than you, and you should follow me now. Paul's not here. He had this problem with the Corinthian church. He's like, listen, some of y'all saying I'm of Apollos, and the other ones are saying I'm of Paul, uh, but the reality is you're all of a Jesus Christ, and because Paul and Apollos, all we do is water or plant. That's all we do, man. God's the one who calls the increase, so quit trying to ask like you're my disciple because you're supposed to be Jesus's disciple and till still to this day people are drawn to personalities I get it it happens it absolutely happens but you know that's why we constantly are pushing against that you know whether I'm ministering here or Pastor Mike or Pastor Angie or some guest minister or Pastor Marcy or whoever it may be you should never have a favorite you shouldn't pick a favorite you should say what is God saying through them that I can receive and my mind be changed right oh pastor not gonna be here next Wednesday well I'm not coming what's wrong with you 
God's here. The Holy Ghost is here. The Word's being preached here. I mean, that's, that's silly. That's silliness. Well, I want to be right next to the pastor. You don't want to be next to the pastor. You want to be exactly where God wants you to be. Right? Because I know what Jesus is saying. He's like, you don't know what you're asking. <laughs> Hallelujah. You don't know what you're asking. Praise the Lord. The closer you get, the more things are exposed. All right. So we talked about some leaders, and unfortunately, we didn't get to the positive ones. <laughs> but I'm going to do a recap on the ones that we did. I'll give the reference. I'm not going to preach it. I'm not going to tell you. You can write it down for notes because some of y'all weren't here a couple weeks ago. Um, but we have some leadership things within the Bible. The Bible is a historical document. Okay, the Bible's not a fantasy, it's not a fairy tale, it's not some little fable, it's not some book that conceived by some man. No, it has many authors over thousands of years, and it's seamless. In, in, in the realm of authenticity of its manuscripts, there are more manuscripts associated with the text of the Bible than any other book, period. What is the one? Homer's Iliad, is that what it is? And there's like eight or ten copies of those. Eight copies that we attribute to the author yeah written thousand years after now here is the bible that has foul a thou over a thousand manuscripts over twenty thousand new testament of this authenticity of people recording and keeping it and it staying in context i mean it it blew in the natural way that we go to uh, literature and determine its authenticity that it's the real deal the bible blows it away but you know the edu uh, academia is not going to talk about that because they don't want you to believe that book you don't want it to be authentic but you understand god's whole authority and power sits in the seat that he has the ability to make sure his message is untainted because you'll never stand before jesus and say it was just too complicated to know the truth with you it's just too complicated well, first of all, the problem is your definition of truth is wrong because truth is actually not uh, an idea, an ideal, uh, 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 a phrase, an occurrence. Truth is the spirit. The Holy Ghost is the spirit of truth. And what's so awesome about him is he's been everywhere. He knows, he knows everybody's uh, how much hair is on your head. He knows everybody's color. He knows what you've done. He can read your mail. I mean, the U.S. government ain't got nothing on this big brother. Is what I'm no natural China don't have nothing on this okay he they're writing it all down because in the end there's a book for the righteous called the Lamb's Book of Life and you just need your name in it just need your name that's all you need you just need your name and you get your name then it opens another book because there's another book for the believer and that is everything you did in his name and you'll get a reward as associated with that but then there's another book They'll go back to the Lamb's Book of Life to see if your name's there. If it's not there, then they sit, pull out some other books. And those books have everything you've ever done, ever. And the case against you is without fail. A righteous judge will prove to you everything, and that's on all levels, on your physical man level, on your soul man level, and your spirit man level. He knows your thoughts. How you were thinking and he can expose it. How'd you know I was thinking that? He'll play it back. Oh my. Are you hearing me? Okay. So this book has a lot of 
good leaders and bad leaders. And we should reference it so that we determine our way of leading. Now, when I say that, uh, I wrote a book called Lead Follower because I do want to just let you know, at the end of the day, the best leader you could ever be is a follower of the Holy Spirit because Jesus Christ is the greatest name. He has the greatest name. He is the king of glory. But even the king was led by the Spirit. All right? He was led by the Spirit. So what we have to become proficient at is hearing the Holy Spirit within us, follow his voice, take his direction, which will only sound like the Word of God, sound like Jesus because he is the Word. And when we follow that in any situation, it will cause us to look like we're leading in something. Are you hearing me? Because the real leader is invisible. We don't see him. The world doesn't see him, doesn't know him, but all of a sudden comes out of your mouth the answer, and they're like, my gosh. Oh, my goodness. How did this happen? Man, you're such a great leader. And all the while, you're like, that was the Holy Ghost. Come on. Holy Ghost make you look real smart. So go ahead and give him credit, just like Joseph did, just like Daniel did. Just go ahead and give him credit. Say, well, you understand, by myself, I'm just not that wise. But you know, I have a, there's a, there is a God, and, his, and he, his name is Jesus Christ. And when he becomes Lord of your life, you have access to the Holy Spirit that will come and live in you. And, he, and the creator of eternity will talk to your spirit and give you plans, ways of escape, all kinds of stuff. All right? So some of the negative leaders we talked about were Saul. King Saul, you can find this in 1 Samuel chapter 13, verses 8 through 14. I'm just going to reference it. You can read it yourself. But we learn that Saul initially doesn't want anything to do with the responsibility of leadership at first. But once accepted, they are more concerned about what others think of them than what is right. So in essence, the pressure of leadership exposes their insecurities. And that's one of the greatest downfalls in the natural world is an insecure leader. Insecure. And it is in the church as well. Nothing worse than an insecure leader. Because an insecure leader will try to kill a secure one. Every time. Will try to kill them. Because they're intimidated by their security in whom they're following. This is why King Saul tried to kill David. Because he saw the anointing that was once on him on him. And then that he was confident. And he loved God. Amen. So he's like, well, I'll have to kill that. But it didn't work. Amen. Aren't you glad God protected? Then we saw Aaron. Aaron is the type of leader that caves. This is in, found in Exodus chapter 32 and verse 1. It says, uh, uh, this type of leader caves into the pressure of the crowd, which leads to chaos. Even uh, They will even become unstable in their view of the leader that they serve. So Aaron's not the ultimate leader. He's just submit. He's right up underneath the leader, which I learned this principle based upon that. If you are not, and again, don't get me wrong, uh, because again, these are some terms that really sound more secular, okay, uh, than biblical. Uh, I like to say it this way, leadership has to do with responsibility. Because again, in the kingdom of God, all of us, if you looked at our leadership in the church, we're all on the same field. None of us are higher than the other. The difference about us is responsibility. So responsibility determines oversight. So there are those who possess more responsibility, and when you, res uh, you have more responsibility, there's more oversight that you have. Again, it's oversight, it's not control. But the devil, he wanted God's oversight, and then he wanted to control it. 
So, in essence, he was one of the created beings that was close to God. And he wanted to take over what we would call first seat. Well, anywhere you go, if you're second to the leader, make no mistake, the devil's going to drop ideas of how you're better than the one leading. Oh, you might as well just get at that. So just know, you're really not better. And even if you are better, it doesn't matter. David was obviously better than Saul, but he wouldn't take the thoughts. And when he took one thought that they were saying, you know, you're better, you know, you know, this guy's been trying to kill you. You know, you need to take him out. Look, he's come into the cave, man. God has given us. I mean, God's done this. God's letting you smoke the man. Kill him. This is so, this is God's will for you to kill him since he's been killing you or trying to kill you. I mean, you're at war with this guy. It's okay. You do this. So he goes up there and cuts the man's, you know, cloak. And then he felt horrible, horrible for that, horrible. Yet, we got people, man, they don't feel horrible for cutting. A, I mean, they want to take the knife, shove it in their back, man, drive it all the way through, watch their eyes roll back in their head and say, no, nah, I'm the guy. Okay. Right? That's demonic. That's the devil. That's exactly what he wanted to do. So if you're ever in that position, make no mistake, the devil's going to bombard your mind to try to tell you you're better and take over. If you are first, guess what? The one in second is going to be hearing that. So know it. So know it. I know I've told our staff, I'm the keeper of the vision. God called me to come here, plant a church, start it. I let you know about this. I cast that vision and y'all showed up and ultimately many of them were all our own staff and working with us and been with us for 18 years. But at the end of the day, this seat is only my seat because of God. So if you take thoughts that you can do it better, that's demonic. Because at the end of the day, I'd be more like a David and walk away and let Absalom take the thing for a bit just to, you know, so you'll end up dying and then I can come back and take the throne that was rightfully mine. Right? In that context is what I'm saying. But at the end of the day, I'm not going to fight for it. I mean, I'll fight in my, in my position, but, you know, I, I mean, this is nothing personal. You know, I mean, we, go, we can go somewhere else if that's what the Lord, I mean, I, it's not mine. It's his. He's the head of the church. So you're really arguing with Jesus, not me in that context. But I'm not ignorant of the devil's devices. Right? I'm not ignorant of the devil's devices. So I recognize that, so we empower them. That way they themselves can cast them down because I have been in that position. I was on staff. I was with a pastor that had ideas and thought processes and in my own natural mind, I'm like, well, maybe I wouldn't do it that way, but at the end of the day, I'm not the guy. So it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Right? And that's why my pastor loved me so much because I was fine with him having the final say, and if he didn't take my idea, didn't care. I remember one time we were in a staff meeting, and so they were talking about, you know, how to grow the church, run around 600 or so, and, um, and so he was like, you know, we're just trying to grow. Well, his wife led worship and has done it the whole time they were there, and it worked. Obviously, you don't get to 600 without, without it working. Now, we are in the state of Oklahoma, and country music is a pretty popular genre, in Oklahoma, okay? She definitely had that sound. 
even if she's saying contemporary, okay? Every contemporary song came out country. Can I say that? I mean, you know, it is what it is. Well, you know, there were some other people who sang that when they sang the contemporary, it didn't sound country, it sounded contemporary. And we ran two services. And this one particular guy was actually dating their daughter. So I'm like, maybe you should let him take the first service and do worship. And then your wife does the second service. There's basically two different styles now since we have two services and people can show up based upon their preference, which is stupid, just to let you know. Okay? I mean, if you're coming to church because I like it, that's a problem because that's not scriptural. The Bible said God places you in the body where it pleases him. He's not asking you to like everything about it. He's asking you to grow. Some of the things you don't like, you need to cut off, <laughs> let go of. It's really not that important, okay? Because I, I could worship with his wife, and I, I, I don't listen to country music at all. I can sing quite a few because my dad listened to it. But we're talking long time ago. I can't even name a country star today, okay? I mean, I am completely oblivious to that. Okay, but there are some that can pop on and I can sing them like I was in, you know, I wrote the song. <laughs> anyway, um, I, I said that a couple times and then I had a meeting with pastor in his office privately. You know, and he did a good setup. He goes, you know, Pastor Earl, really excited that you're here with us on staff, <laughs> you know, because I was the first outside hire. They had always hired within. And... Um, he said, but, you know, you keep kind of talking about this worship thing, you know. And I could tell he, you know, he wasn't comfortable. Because that was one quality Pastor David, what, he didn't like confrontation. He didn't like it. He used me to confront people, um, actually. Okay. I was only, I, I, I'm just the messenger. The pastor sent me. We're going to have to have a conversation. <laughs> right. So, I, and that bode well because as, you know, the keeper of the vision now, we're going to talk because Jesus sent me. <laughs> You know, at the end of the day. All right, so we were having that. I said, Pastor, mate, don't worry about it. I'll, I'll, I won't say nothing else. It's just a suggestion. I said, I got thousands of ideas. You decide. You won't stop me from bringing ideas. If you don't like it, throw it out. We'll go to the next one. You don't hurt my feelings, man. We're going to drive on. Why? Because I'm not taking your chair. I'm submitted to you. I so submitted to that guy. I still know his vision today. God told David Emi to go to Sand Springs, Oklahoma and raise up a New Testament church, and from there he'll touch the world. That was the vision statement. That's how they said it, and that's what I say. I, I ate and drank and breathed it because I submitted to another man because there's a principle in the Bible that if you're faithful with little, you'll be faithful with much, and if you're faithful with another man's, you'll be faithful with your own. So I'm always looking for an opportunity to be faithful with another man's. That's why I thank God for Pastor Hagen that he gave me opportunity to be faithful with his stuff. So even though I'm pastoring this, and by all rights, it looks like I'm the guy. I'm not the guy Jesus is, but I'm also submitted to another guy, and I love pushing his stuff, right? Because I just want to be great. And Jesus said I could aspire to that. But the way to do it is to serve, not to just try to make a name for myself. Anyway, this Aaron, they came to the pressure of the crowd, which leads to chaos. Uh, they will uh, eventually become unstable of their view of the leader. So in essence, they are people pleasers more than God pleasers. That's what I love about Jesus. Jesus was not a people pleaser. Number one, Jesus was not insecure, okay? Number two, Jesus was not a people pleaser. 
Jesus preached a message one time, and he says, unless you drink my blood, eat my flesh, you'll have no part of me. Now, he wasn't talking about cannibalism. It was symbolism. <laughs> but they got jacked up that day, and they, they said the crowds left him. I mean, that's like a pastor preaching a message, and the whole congregation threatened to leave and then don't show up anymore. You know what Jesus didn't do? He didn't get on the phone, didn't go by their house, didn't do a house call. Oh, y'all don't want to hear this. The head of the church did not go to the house, do a house call and say, hey, look, I'm really sorry I offended you. Would you please come back and let's assemble and hang out with me a little bit? He had none of that. He looked to his trusted leaders that have been traveling with him, that he's been taking care of, that seen miracle signs and wonders, devils cast out, and he says, y'all going to go too? Because at the end of the day, I have only one agenda, the will of my father. Amen. So if pastors would get that, they would quit pleasing people and they would actually do purpose. Then they'd be less intimidated with the eyes out there. The ones opened and closed. <laughs> right? I mean, they'd be less intimidated by the facial expressions. Right? They'd be less intimidated by the murmuring and complaining. Because they're like, at the end of the day, man, I'm just going to do the will of dad. You can either be here or not, because I'm going to finish the purpose. And there's, you know, 7.9 billion people on the planet. God has a way to move people from all over the place to do a vision in a particular location. Just hope you'll be there when it's accomplished. I ran into somebody uh, just this week that used to attend here, and um, they don't currently at all. Uh, don't know where they're at, honestly. I hope they're somewhere. No, no hard feelings to me, but it's Pastor Earl. And I said their name. And it's been years now. But I was, the Holy Ghost gave me that name, too. I was like, man. I'm glad he gave me that name. <laughs> um, and so where we're talking, and he goes, well, y'all did it. You got them all, man. Been believing for God, what, like five, six years? I said, man, he is so faithful. So at the end of the day, they could have been here and been a part. Why they're not, I'm not going to answer that. I don't have an answer for that. But at the end of the day, did God do what he said he'd do anyway? He sure did. Wow, he's faithful. He's really awesome. Because, again, if I'm running after the individuals to make sure they're hanging out and want to make sure they stay because there's that message that, you know, God pruned something. Right? Got a pruning message going on. You know, you've been fruitful, but we're pruning something. Or you've not been fruitful, and there's some lopping off going. We're going to have to cut that dead stuff off. Right? But you want to carry your dead branches around with you. Well, I mean... Got to keep the purpose, and God bring it to pass. Man, we had some people on Tuesday night. Man, appreciate y'all coming out and helping, you know, with the mall. And uh, we were all walking around saying, now, remember, there's going to be a day that we're going to be walking through here, and there's going to be people in stores and buying, and we're going to have all the paint done, and everything be completely remodeled. And you'll be able to say, I was there when it looked like this. Because <laughs> that day it happened. Are you hearing me? Then there's this other type of leader. Now, this kind of filters in on females a little bit because, again, the Bible's full of female leaders. I'm blown away by churches that won't let women lead. That's so crazy to me. I mean, read your Bible. God used women all the time. Thank God for Mary. Thank God for Deborah. Thank God for Esther. I mean, at the end of the day, it's just ludicrous, right? Take a couple scriptures out of context and women are no good. Treat them like livestock. God, Jesus was the greatest female liberator on the face. 
The feminist movement should run to Jesus because he liberated women. He's the only one who can. It's crazy. Anyway, but they like to follow Jezebel. Jezebel, this type of leader, she operates off another's authority, but blames the one in authority when things go wrong. In essence, they want authority without the responsibility. Right? So they come touting, running off at stuff. Oh, I'll take care of it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You can find that in 1 Kings chapter 21, verses 7 through 10. Then we talked about Absalom. We actually ended on Absalom. Didn't we end on Absalom? Anybody remember? Shall I take notes? Pull it up. Absalom, this type of leader, 2 Samuel chapter 15, verses 3 through 6, he manipulates leadership by giving the impression they care more than the other leader, than the one leading. In essence, the only one they care about is themselves. So they give accolades to themselves. They're like, oh, man, if I could just be, you know, if I was in charge, if I was doing this. You understand the leader is so busy, just so busy. I can't tell you how many people come. Pastor, I know you're busy. Your doctor's busy. Your dentist is busy. The mechanic's busy. Your lawn care guy's busy. Your pool man's busy. I mean, everybody's busy. I've never seen a believer tell their doctor, if you don't let me in now, I'm going to go to another doctor. Y'all just take the appointment and go on. Oh, you can get me a next Thursday? Great. Pastor, I need to talk with you. Okay. Well, let's see what my schedule is. Schedule? <laughs> I'm not Jesus, people. I mean, if it's that bad, go to Jesus. Pray. Let the Holy Ghost in you give you the answer. If it's that much of an emergency, why are you talking to me in the first place? I'm not Jesus. Okay, so at the end of the day, we can get you in on Thursday at 3 p.m. <laughs> because you're not the only one in the church, right? Just like you're not the only patient your doctor sees or patient your dentist sees. Okay, but man, y'all love them. Hey, I mean, you, you know, you know you hate your dentist because he drills your mouth, but, you know, but you'll smile. Ah, <laughs> I mean, hey, the dentist make you look stupid and you keep going back ah, ah. they talk to you how can you even carry on conversation so how how was your weekend right uh, <laughs> I mean you want me to pray in tongues right now I guess I can I mean because that's what it's gonna sound like it's gonna sound like an unknown tongue if I start talking right now ah, hey, ah, hey, hey. As drool runs down your mouth, and then they suck it up with a little thing, right? Spit. You don't have to spit anymore. Does anybody spit? I don't have to spit. They got the thing, man. They'll suck your tonsils out. All right. Anyway. So let's look at another female leader. Last negative one. We'll go to positives to close it down for the night. When I say we'll go to positives, all the positive leaders, and then we'll close it. Another female one was Miriam. Now, Miriam's found in Numbers chapter 12, verse 2. And look what Miriam says. She says, and they, so they said, she was with her brother Aaron, has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us also? And the Lord heard it. Uh-oh. So, what's the Miriam type of leader? They're used in prophetic causes, used in prophetic it causes pride to manifest. In essence, they hear God. They're right in their hearing, 
But then they get prideful that they can hear God too. And now that they can hear God, I don't need to hear God from anyone else. So in essence, they want everyone to know that they can hear God like the leader, so they become critical. Critical. Now, at the end of the day, this can happen in the workplace. Well, you know, all of a sudden, you give the right idea. Your idea was away. It actually prospered. Now, all of a sudden, you don't want to listen to your manager no more because you're a better manager. Or you went to the same class as your manager took, so at the end of the day, we're really equal now. I mean, I graduated from a place called Raymond Bible Training College. We've sent students from this church to Raymond Bible Training College. This place and all kind of other churches that have sent people to Raymond Bible Training College, the number one thing that can happen and has happened in a lot of places is all of a sudden, because they went to the school the pastor went to, now they know what the pastor knows, so they're just as smart as the pastor. But I was telling someone, not all of us went to Rama in the same vein. Now, when I went to Rama, I went knowing nothing. So, I mean, it was, it was a lot of training. <laughs> but if you went to Rama from here, you should be really somewhere else. And I'll never forget, I warned a guy that came out of Pastor David Emi's church. He, was, uh, he did our janitorial stuff, okay? And um, he was going to go to Rama, and I said, now, listen, when you go, Listen, you, it ain't like you're going to hear a bunch of new stuff like me. I came out of denominational church, man. I didn't know jack. I didn't know about the authority of the believer. I didn't know about healing. I didn't know about the power of the Holy Ghost. I knew nothing. I mean, I just knew I was going to go to heaven and that I, could, I was filled with the Spirit. But other than that, I had no other real context. I said, but you, you know about the authority of the believer. You know about the life of faith. You know about healing. You know about these things. So what you got to do is you got to buckle in and find the nuggets there's some additional things for you, right? Different ball game. Went, graduated, right? So there was a Rama pastor who was pastoring in southern Oklahoma, and he was planting churches down there, okay? And in planting the churches down there, the reason he was planting them is because churches in these small towns were dying, and so they would come to him because he demonstrated he was a good leader, a good pastor in a community, and his churches were successful. So they would come to him and say, how can we? He's, can you help us? Will you help our church? And he would say, I can. If you'll give me the church, I'll institute how it's done. You're going to have to give it to me, and then I'll raise up a pastor and put it in there in your community. And he was doing this. Well, this particular guy, you know, found out about it. They ended up discussing, and he was going to put him in a small town in Oklahoma. In Oklahoma. Going to be able to pastor, right? He would not go because he didn't have insurance for his son. I said, did you go through the same school I went to? I mean, do you have to have natural insurance to follow God? I mean, what? what can I ask you, what insurance plan was Paul on anyway? Blue Cross, Blue Shield, you think? I mean, name one in the Bible that actually had a great, you know, retirement plan when they started to take off. I mean, in the natural. Because, again, if this is just about, you know, riches in heaven, they all knew that. But how many people won't go unless there's a salary, won't go unless there's a, 
uh, retirement plan. Won't go unless there's insurance for the whole family. I'm like, you go to the same school? We live by faith, man. Just go. <laughs> See, when you live close to God, insurance is really irrelevant. Because you find you don't need it. You're healed all the time. And it's cheaper to just pay the doctor than it is to pay premiums. Because you're never there. It's really awesome. I'm just going to let you know. I can testify. I hadn't been on insurance for 20 years. Longer. Doesn't bother me. What? If, I mean, you're in the what if category. I'm in the truth category. Period. Because even in your what if, my God's able to provide. Period. It happened. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. My point is, is he became prideful and didn't get the nuggets. Divorced his wife, in and out of church still to this day. And I'm the guy who went to Ram and didn't know Jack. But I'm not the same guy that graduated in 2000. I mean, I'm... I've grown so much since then. Not that I outgrew Rhema. I'll never outgrow Rhema. That's my roots. They strengthen me. They're my foundation. But at the end of the day, I, I'm not the same student when I go back. I'm not the same person when I go back. I'm a totally different individual, which means that when I go back, they're saying stuff that I heard 22 years ago, 24. But I look for the nuggets, and I get them. Because I'm teachable. But, you know, these Miriams out there, they get a little success somewhere in their realm of God, you know, or in their business, and then they get prideful and can't, can't listen to nobody, and they get critical of everybody. Well, because, you know, she's like, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I can hear just like Moses. I, I can do it just as good as them. I mean, if you say that, that's not the leadership God wants you to have. All right. All right. So let's move to some positive ones so we can get all excited and happy. All right. Let's talk about a positive one. Great leader. Great leader to look at. Okay. Again, there is, and I, and I said this, um, it's not here. I must have put it in a different note. No matter what you're doing in life, we did it in the grace series. There is a grace in whatever sector of society you're in. And whatever area of life you're in, this ain't just being in church. I'm talking no matter what you're in, there is a biblical leader model that you can model and get the same results or better. And some of these are pretty impressive. So let's first look over here at this man named Joseph. Woo, Joseph. My gosh, he was not a preacher. He was not a priest, not a prophet. He was a business guy. And if you're a business guy or in business, you should study Joseph's life. I mean, if you want to excel in business, you should study Joseph. Joseph's a master in the realm of business and causing increase. And he can cause increase on what's his and not his. Because wherever Joseph goes in whatever situation, increase follows. Increase follows. So we see here in Genesis chapter 41, verses 33 to 35, it says, now let Pharaoh looked for a man discerning and wise and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh take action to appoint overseers in charge of the land and let him exact a fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt in seven years of abundance. Then let them gather all the food 
of these good years that are coming and store up the grain for food in the cities for Pharaoh's authority and let them guard it. What's so powerful about this particular account right here in Genesis is that Joseph is a prisoner at this juncture. <laughs> He's been pulled out of prison, not released, been pulled out of prison to stand before Pharaoh in order to interpret a dream he has had. Joseph does not negotiate his release in order to interpret his dream. He just gives him the answer. But he also lets him know that in giving this answer, it is not of his own natural wisdom, but the interpretation only belongs to God. And here's the thing. A lot of leaders don't want to acknowledge that God is giving them the insight to do what they do. They just want to do it incognito. Which tells me, if you want to have the success Joseph has, you're going to have to be more vocal about how you are this successful or where your ideas actually come from instead of giving God glory when you leave. Joseph gave glory to God before he even interpreted it. Now, I'll just even go out on a limb because we are to live by faith. The Bible does not tell us that Joseph didn't have the interpretation, but it also does not tell us he did. So Joseph very well could have said when he heard the dream, had no idea what it was, and then said, God is the one who interprets dreams. And when he acknowledged God, God opened his mind and gave him the interpretation. That is just as plausible. Now, we want to believe because, you know, none of us really want to live by faith. We want to live by, you know, extended faith is what I call it, right? Call it extended faith. It's kind of like the, now this is like old, old movies, right? I mean, everybody at least is kind of familiar. Probably not. I don't know. Probably not. But back in the super old days before I was born, <laughs> they had these things called black and white movies. Right? And in those black and white movies with no words, they had this action scene where a guy would tie a damsel in distress to a train track. And then the hero has to come and do what? Rescue them. Now, watching it, we want the train to get right there. We're like, ooh, I guess it's a good act. Right? Right? And it gets you nervous the whole deal right at the end. But in your own life, if you're chained to the train track, you want God to knock it off 10 miles. I mean, you don't want to feel it coming. You don't want it to get, you don't, you're not going to sit there and go, it ain't going to hit me. You're like, I mean, you junk, you, I mean, you, <laughs> screaming, man. Ah! Ah! Right? I mean, it's like, where's your peace? I mean, a life of faith means you're somewhere with no answer. Meaning, you're calling those things that be not as though they were, which means you're out in the place like it isn't happening, but yet you know it's happening, and before it's all over, it happens at the end of the day. Right? So I can't tell you that Joseph didn't know it. I mean, he hears it on the spot, guys. He hears it on the spot. 
So somewhere in that statement of God interprets dreams, either before or after. And it could have been when he hears it, he hears it and he's like, man, only God could have gave me that. I'd been just as confounded as the rest of these people. And he gives God glory right out the gate. And because he did that, when he does the next thing that we just read, Pharaoh decided, you're my man. When Pharaoh could have said, it's low, oh, you don't want to hear this. The policy in Egypt didn't change because e Joseph became prince. Let me put it this way. Discrimination or racism didn't change in Egypt just because Joseph became prince. Oh, I should add this to my book. <sighs> didn't change because when his brothers finally show up to get food, the Egyptians wouldn't eat with the prince called Joseph because it was loathsome to eat in the same room as a Hebrew. So the policy in Egypt didn't change and accept him as a Hebrew. The Pharaoh could have easily said, thank you for that. You're a Hebrew, and it's loathsome for me to be around you at this juncture. So you need to go on back to prison, and we'll institute that plan. But God. God took a discriminated human that was race, racist against and brought him up to be the second in command to where the Pharaoh himself says, Joseph, I only have more authority than you when I'm seated right here, son. Yet no one in his kingdom saw him different than a Hebrew. They obeyed, though. I said they obeyed. And did Joseph get sideways on that? Oh, you don't want to hear that. Joseph didn't get sideways. Why? Because, again, who I am is not in the color of my skin or my nationality. It is in the God that I serve. Because what he could have done is say, since I'm so loathsome, I hope your whole nation dies. The whole thing. Peace, I'm going to prison. But he didn't do that because he had a destiny. And in, fa in fact, Pharaoh assigned the first part of his dream. Back when he was 17, he'll rule and his brothers will come and bow down. Well, he ain't in a rulership position. He's in jail. He's over the jail under the warden and it's prospering, but he sure isn't ruling people. But all of a sudden, Pharaoh says, you're my man. Get this man this, get this man that. Now you got all authority. Everybody listen to what this guy says. And he just realized that's the first part of God's dream for my life. And because he never compromised his principle with God, he was one of the greatest managers ever. So this kind of leader manages the resources of one who is in authority. In essence, they are great stewards and never act as if they own anything. They are continually concerned for the welfare of others. That's what Joseph was. Joseph looked past the Egyptians and says, I got a family out there. Get this. The guy's in power now. And you know what Joseph doesn't do? Joseph doesn't say, I'm going to go back home. Dad's probably worried that I've died. In fact, what the brothers did to me I mean, I heard him when I was being pulled away as a slave. 
I saw him cut up my sh that kill that animal and put it all over my my colorful jacket. I saw it. You know, Daddy thinks I'm dead. I need to go set that straight. Never left Egypt. Why? Because this is the position where I have authority. If I go home, I don't have that. Oh, y'all don't want to hear that. He says, God must be able to bring them to me. And he, I don't know that he, if he knew it would happen, if he assumed at that juncture, when that famine comes, they're going to come here. I just have to assume he probably figured that out. He said, let's amass some wealth because there's going to be a lot of people that's hungry. And when it hits, we'll be ready. And in the eighth year, here comes his brothers. And what did they do to Joseph? Oh, there's the prince of Egypt. Dream number one take place. And the second dream happened later. Because he had this context about him, and we heard this context about him when uh, Potiphar's wife wanted to rape him, wanted him to sleep with her. He said, don't you know that'd be a sin against my God? Which means he never managed unrighteously. He didn't take what wasn't his. He didn't squander it. He's responsible. And that caused him to rise. You want to rise in any company? If you're going to, you know, be in that kind of context? Study Joseph. Study Joseph. Because those people will always rise to the top. How can they not? He guaranteed you. If you'll do it this way, you'll become greatest. If you do it this way, you'll be first. Man, that's good. I think I'll close right there. Because, you know, in my mind, I'm thinking, Lord, why am I trying to do them all at one night anyway? <laughs> I said, honestly, I could break down every one of these things in one. Now, I wanted to go through the bad ones first because, you know, it leaves people deflated. You know? Right? Because I know how the devil works. Pastor thinks I'm a Jezebel. I don't think you're nothing. I'm just saying if any of those qualities within the bad ones are there, get rid of them. That's what I'm saying. That's what the Lord's saying. But when it comes to the good ones, I mean, we can study them out. And since we're going to take some time in leadership, I'll come back and hit some more good ones. Right? Because there are great leaders in the Word of God. Better than Abraham Lincoln, George Washington, um, whomever else you consider, you know, I'm just throwing off a couple off that just popped in the top of my head, right? Martin Luther King Jr. I mean, I'm not saying they didn't have attributes. They didn't just find out what qualities connected with God. I have no problem with that. But we have a whole book that the Holy Spirit said, it's worth my people to know. Pin them. And we limit ourselves but just the ones that were within our century. When we have ones thousands of years ago in some very difficult times and rough governments that just rose to the top because they all had this quality. It'd be a sin against my God and I've come to serve him and him alone. It's be easy. I'm telling you, it's easy for a believer to take over. Easy. All you got to do is yield to God. Let's pray. 
Thank you so much for listening to this message. If you want more, subscribe to our message podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and SoundCloud. Rating and leaving a comment will go a long way with helping our messages get better circulation. If you'd enjoy watching our weekend messages, visit youtube.com forward slash anchor faith. We'd love it if you'd subscribe, leave a comment or a like on the messages. If you'd like to find out more information about us and how we're influencing the world and help support the work we're doing by giving, just visit anchorfaith.com. 